often, Black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Be Well Sis podcast. I am your host, Dr. Cassandra Dunbar. How has life been treating you? But more importantly, how have you been treating yourself, sis? You know, me, I have been good. Not great, but good. We'll take it. It's not bad, right? (laughs) Um, Life has been hectic, and I feel like September, as I speak to people, September has been hectic or just turbulent for everybody. But we move. We are in October. We are really in the final stretch of the year. It is my birthday month. Um, and typically, I am not excited about my birthday month. I have like a interesting relationship with my birthday. But this year, I told myself that I'm going to be one of those people that celebrates my birthday all month long. I'm going to force myself to really celebrate being alive. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. (laughs) Um, As you may know, we had our first in-person event last Friday, September 29th, and it was the screening of a documentary called Best Friends Not Forever, which was followed by a discussion on the impact of friendship breakups, especially in adulthood. It was such a good time. To be honest, I was so nervous going into it because I just wanted to make sure that everything was good and that the vision that I had in my head for like community and vulnerability and transparency and just like a really intimate, safe space like actually happened. And it did. And I'm so, so grateful. I am so grateful to the women who who came out, who joined, who shared their experiences and disconnected with each other. And it really helped me to confirm that curating in-person events really is the next step for Be Well Says. I've gotten great feedback um, since the event, after the event happened, people have been in my DMs and um, just have expressed um, what I hoped that they would take from it. So Again, a million thanks to those who came out. Um, I also get a, I got a chance to meet a few of the listeners in person, which was so dope. It's so nice to be able to put faces to some of the listeners. So thank you so much for joining. I appreciate you. There was one um, um, gorgeous woman in particular who actually brought a friend with her too. So it was really, really dope. I am so grateful. And I consider that to be my birthday party for this year. I'm not having like a celebration for my birthday. I I usually don't. Um, But I consider that to be like my little birthday, my little birthday party. Um, So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Besides that, I've just been being more intentional about slowing down and being more present. And as I've shared with you in the last episode, I've been challenging myself to puzzle. Yep. To puzzle. <laughs> because I'm a beginner, I currently work on 48 piece puzzles. Do not judge me. <laughs> so they only take a few moments to complete. And when I'm done, I have a gorgeous piece of artwork that I display on my bookshelves. So again, I am challenging you to join me to puzzle. So get your puzzle at revelwellnessco.com. And what I love about these puzzles in particular is that their mission is to help improve the overall well-being of women by offering alternative rituals of self-care. So we typically hear about like, you know, take baths, um, take bubble baths and do yoga, walk, meditate, um, spa days, all of those things are great for self-care, but let's have some alternatives and that is where they step in. So Rebel Wellness features stunning artwork created by Black women that reflect our beauty, our values, and our dreams. So again, I am asking you and challenging you to join me in embracing the stillness and engaging our creativity 
by um, puzzling. So to get your puzzle, visit revelwellnessco.com and use code BWELLSIS15 at checkout. Again, the website is revelwellnessco.com and then use code BWELLSIS at checkout. To make it easy for you, just go ahead and open up the description of this episode and then scroll down and you'll see um, I have it as a link for you just to click and and go shop. And these also make great um, presents as well. So my older son is um he's going through some growing pains right now so he might be a little challenging in the class so i'm gonna try to like suck up to his teachers by buying them some puzzles (laughs) i figure it's a unique gift um and it's a way of being like hey girl i i know i know i feel you (laughs) anyway um so that is that and also do not forget that we are going to cartagena colombia yes i say it like that every time because by the time i get there i'm going to be fluent in spanish <laughs> so we are going to cartagena colombia in august 2024 so next year and this trip is in partnership with jelani travel and we will be experiencing all of the best that cartagena has to offer at the inner renaissance retreat so it's going to be an intimate experience So it's going to be an intimate experience where we'll be pampered, take in the Afro-Indigenous culture of the city, and where we'll just have fun. We'll have workshops, excursions, gorgeous accommodations, and so much more. So go ahead, hit the link in the descriptions. That way you can learn more about it and to join the waitlist that you are first notified when booking opens up. It opens up very soon. And again, it is going to be an intimate experience. So there are not that many spots available. Okay, so go ahead and do yourself a favor, join the wait list for that. So let's go ahead and jump into today's episode. So today's episode, I for today's episode, I am joined by Dr. Maisha Claiborne. Dr. Maisha is an integrative physician, visionary thought leader, consultant, and trainer of neuro-linguistic programming. And her specialty in trauma-informed communication is teaching people the power of words and how our unconscious thought beliefs have an impact on the reality we create. She teaches leaders to become trauma-informed by teaching conscious communication and emotional fluency. Um, so Dr. Maisha has helped individuals and organizations better understand trauma and how it affects the brain, our behavior, and our communication. So I'm so grateful to have had this conversation with her. In this conversation, we really impact trauma and also what does trauma actually mean? I feel like trauma has been something that's been really thrown around a lot, especially in the last few years when people have been speaking more about um, mental health and things that affect our mental well-being. But I don't think it's always used appropriately. So she really clarifies what is trauma Um as well as its impact on the brain and our development. And we also discuss grounding and healing practices. So it is such a really great conversation. And what I really appreciate about speaking with Dr. Maisha is that she really makes things really clear. So even if you are not somebody who is in the field and has the training and the background that she does, it is very clear um, and she makes it understandable for for the masses, for us to understand. So I am so grateful to have had her on this um, podcast and this is a really, really dope episode and And before we get into the conversation, just want to remind you that yes, it is my birthday month. (laughs) And the only thing that I am asking for my birthday 
is for you to leave a rating and a review as well as to actually subscribe or follow to the show, depending on what platform you're on. Um, I look at my stats, I was looking at my insights the other day and I realized that the majority of the listeners do not actually follow the show. So babe, you're here. I love that you're here. I appreciate that you're here. But how about you go ahead and hit follow or subscribe depending on what platform you use. Um, so that way we can really go together. Cause right now the, it's like, it's, we're in that funny phase. I don't like the funny phase. I like us to really go together. So go ahead and subscribe and also leave a rating and a review. It is super important, um, that I have that to show. So that way when I'm trying to get, um, incredible, impactful guests on the show to have great conversations with them, they can take us a little bit more seriously. So the more ratings and the reviews that we have, it's like, okay, so the audience is tapped in. So come on, I know y'all are here. So please help me help myself help you. (laughs) So that is that as always. Thank you so much for joining. I am so, so glad you're here. Be well, sis. So today I have with us Dr. Maisha Claiborne. Um, We are going to be talking about all things trauma, the brain, grounding, and how to heal and how to, you know, come out of that. So um, firstly, how are you? I am so well. And I just appreciate you having me on the podcast, allowing me to have this conversation with you. It's one of my most passionate conversations that I love to have. I'm so happy to have you here, especially because in the past couple of years, we've been hearing a lot about trauma. So the word trauma, I feel like it's kind of being thrown around and it's it's good in a way that it's like part of the mainstream conversation, yeah. but I feel like there's might be a little bit of overuse or even misuse of yes. the word. So what is trauma when we talk about it from like a mental or psychological perspective? Yeah. You know, so I think... First, it's it's great to distinguish this because I think a lot of people think that the tra- traumas are events and and trauma is not necessarily even it's our body's sort of like internal response or how our, our body responds to an event. So events can cause trauma. But then I think people think of when they think of trauma, they think of like the big stuff like war and mass casualty and you know, assault and accidents and really big things like life events like that. But in actuality, um, trauma can happen when there's any, any type of event or happening that, um, that either it happens for too, that's too much, too fast, too soon, too long, too often without any like resourcing or recovery or respite. Right. Mm. So it's anything that happens where um, there's like the experience that there is no escape. It is is an experience that shifts our alt that alters our sense of safety that um, that is, again, it overwhelms the nervous system. It overwhelms the body. It's unexpected, Mm. unpalatable. Uh, and so these are, when these things happen over time or, or if it's a one big event, it can cause trauma in the body. Ah, so when you were saying that made me think about the pandemic, would you say that the pandemic was like a traumatic event, like that we all collectively experienced? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and for, and you know, there are different, these sort of different categories or levels of trauma, right? There's like that 
that direct trauma, where it's that personal experience trauma. And then there's like secondary trauma, which can be bystander trauma or mm. vicarious trauma, or they can be caretaker trauma. So the pandemic really covers all of those things. And the pandemic was not only like it's it, the pandemic itself was one big event, but it was also one long ongoing event, but it was, it was sort of compounded by multiple repetitive things as well. Yeah. So multiple people dying of COVID, um, multiple incidences of violence. So we often, in my world, we call it the tridemic because it was isolation. It was the, you know, the COVID-19 and the, the, the trauma with that. Mm-hmm. And it was the, the violence that we all watched, you know, mm-hmm. the racial violence and police violence and, you know, senseless gun violence, yeah. like all of that kind of came to together. And so you have like one event, but then you have multiple repeated intensities as well. Mm. So when people say that whatever is a trauma response, is that even like a correct term to use? Like the one that comes to mind right now is, you know, hyper independence is a trauma response. So is trauma a trauma response an actual thing? Trauma response is an actual thing, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 it's interesting because I, I there's some some definitely some language around trauma that should be distinguished, and that's one of them. So when we think of trauma response, we think of this involuntary thing that happens inside of our body that causes it to that causes us to react in a specific way. And if we think about like the 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 whole idea of fight or flight, what used to be only fight or flight, then it was fight, flight, freeze. Now we say there's fight, there's flight, there's freeze. There's what some people call the feign or submit, like um, we call it the um, appease or befriend, mm-hmm. the, like the be, the tend to befriend. It's the survival response, like you mm-hmm. appease to the threat. And then there's the fatigue response, mm-hmm. right? So people who it's often sort of like the play possum response, mm-hmm. the fatigue or or flop. Some people call it the flop response mm-hmm. where, you know, some people just sort of pass out. Yeah. There's, so these are all physiological responses, but they look like different things, mm-hmm. right? So the, 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 the fight response can look like aggression or it can look like con- confront confrontation because the bull takes the, the threat on head yeah. on. Right. And then or could look like avoidance or running away or it could like the inability to speak. Right. The freeze, the deer in the headlights. Yep. You know, it could look like the faint response. Right. Mm -hmm. It could look like like all of those things. So we think of when we think of trauma responses, we think of those type of involuntary reactions that come when the amygdala, when this part of the brain that like detects threat, when threat Mm -hmm. detection system is active. It takes over the entire brain mm-hmm. and you respond how you respond. And that's the the the, the level of trauma response. So so for example, I think about when people are in prolonged um situations, for example, like the pandemic. And it's like when we were really in the thick of it, there was no escaping it. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about what is the amygdala doing? It's just constantly firing. And how does that show up? We know how the effects may look you just beautifully illustrated how it's going to look like you know in our behavior Mm -hmm. what does that do to us like yeah physiologically the rest of our bodies yeah absolutely and and as i say that i want to i want to kind of uh, punctuate something here around trauma responses so 
I think it's useful to be mindful of sometimes people overusing even that language, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think there's another word that people use a lot triggered, which I don't Mm -hmm. really usually like that word, right? I don't, we, we use activated in the, in the community, we say something is activated because it activates the response, mm-hmm. but people are at least I'm triggered or this triggers me or, you know, right. like that. And I hate to right. use that voice because that's the, but that's the way it occurs to me. Right. Yes. <laughs> and, and so understanding that sometimes that word, those words can be used as an excuse for bad behavior. And that's what yeah. we're talking about. So I yeah. want to name that. Mm-hmm. And also to know that trauma for one person doesn't also doesn't mean trauma for someone else. So what mm-hmm. causes trauma in one person may not cause trauma in another person because of lived experience. Mm-hmm. So I may have a lived experience of having grown up on the street, seeing such and such on a daily basis. And so that doesn't occur, like certain things may not immediately occur as trauma, although having grown up on the street, <laughs> seeing itself. certain things mm-hmm. itself, like that speaks to something. Mm-hmm. But to the person who has grown up sort of sheltered, mm-hmm. a, a, a less intense experience might cause trauma in them that wouldn't cause trauma in someone who has the kind of resilience that maybe I have having grown up in a particular way. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I just want to distinguish that now, um, now coming back around to this question of, well, what does it feel like? And this is kind of how we distinguish it. It's a trauma response in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? We can't, we can, we can sort of speculate trauma response in others, mm-hmm. but we can definitely notice it in ourselves. And so a lot of times, you know, you may start to feel people who experience this in themselves and, and you have to, I think each person has to kind of get to know themselves. It's like this tension. Sometimes it's, it's heart racing. Yeah. Sometimes it's like a something in your stomach, yep. you know, like a the tightness not. or a mm-hmm. nausea. Sometimes it's a, a flash, like a hot flash, you know, and you're not in, and you're not menopausal. <laughs> <laughs> feeling like the rush of heat. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a sweaty palms, you know, sometimes it's just like feeling stuck in the mud or mm-hmm. feeling like you suddenly can't speak. Sometimes it's the tightness of the chest or you can't breathe. You know, sometimes it's the immediate urge to fight, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or the immediate urge to run. Yep. Right. So these are some of the things that people can experience in their own bodies. And what I would encourage listeners to do is, is, you know, maybe you think of a time when there was, you know, try not to think of a super traumatic time, but maybe think of a time where, you know, you had an intensity that something that, that made you nervous or something that scared you, that you, that you got through Mm -hmm. successfully. But in that moment, like, how did you feel? Like what happened to your body? notice what that is. And then notice when does that come up over and over again? Right. Mm -hmm. So that's how you start to notice what, what is your own trauma response feel like? And I can share just like a little quick story. I was in, I I share with you prior to us recording that I'm here in Atlanta. I've been here for, I guess, 20 years, 20 plus years now. And uh, when I was in medical school, we went, I was, we were going out to celebrate me and, and, and the guy I was dating at the time would go out to celebrate after a test block. And we went to Ruby Tuesdays. I don't know if you remember Ruby Tuesdays. Sure do. Salabar. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was going for that big chocolate cake that they used to have in that bowl. It's mm-hmm. so good. 
but we we got done eating and we were walking to the car and i remember i had driven this day and um i i it was nighttime and it was in a parking lot that was different from the actual ruby tuesdays because that parking lot was full mm-hmm. and i remember getting in the car and my my friend getting in the car and as i was turning on the car there were these guys that got out from, from their car, both sides and started oh, to converge upon us. And I remember, you know, like I got out of there, right. I don't mm-hmm. even, my, my whole body just took over. Mm-hmm. And, but I remember feeling like this sudden, like tightness and flash of hot and like mm-hmm. shortness of breath. And then my body just was like, and I was mm-hmm. out of there. Right? Mm-hmm. So we were, we were fine. Thank but goodness. like when I think about what is my trauma response, I think of that. Yeah. Like, oh, this is how it feels. So then anytime I'm anywhere and I'm talking, having a normal conversation with someone and I start to feel this thing, I'm like, oh, something's happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Something's happening. And that that leads me to, you know, I talked about this kind of in extreme event that happened. But really, you could be talking to someone and someone says something to you that reminds you of a past event or a person mm-hmm. who has done harm to you mm-hmm. or a situation that has done harm to you. Mm-hmm. And that can activate those responses, mm-hmm. certain conversations, certain people, certain you know situations that normally do not pose an actual threat. So we say the threat is in a, tra- when we, when someone is, is having a trauma response, it is in response to a real or imagined threat. Yeah. Real or perceived threat. Mm-hmm. And the key is to begin to distinguish in that moment, is this a real threat or yeah. is this not? Yeah. Um, one thing that I, I learned in um, therapy is how, disconnected I have been um prior like my mind and my body like Mm -hmm. I would feel the sensations that you mentioned but I would like brush it off until she told me no 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 no. we need to like identify what's happening like what what are you feeling and sit with it and process it so that way like you said it when it comes up again I'm able to quickly recognize it and not push through it I think in our culture in our society we're taught to like you know push through these things right but then we're not even getting to know ourselves and you know you know because of that because we're constantly pushing through it so I really appreciate that that practice that you suggest to look back at some things that you made it through and recount what did you feel so you can name that feeling and name what's going on in in real time for sure and when you start to and you know if you're you made such a really good point like we are taught, and especially certain cultures, certain certain genders mm-hmm. are taught to like, oh, just put on a happy face. Yep. You know, leave your stuff at the door. And yep. so what happens is we begin disconnecting from our emotions. And like personally, my my own experience, I did that so much that I couldn't even identify the emotion that was present. Yep. So it wasn't Same. until I don't know, maybe like 10, 12 years ago that I was sitting in the office with a friend who happened to be a therapist Mm -hmm. and uh, we were talking about some situation and she was like, how'd that make you feel? And I was like, well, I think, so I always went to the think, I think, Mm -hmm. right. 
And she was like, no, but how did that make you feel? And she asked me like three times and and then she pulled out a feelings wheel and we both had a good laugh about it, but it Mm -hmm. was like real moment. Like, wow, here I am thinking I'm all like emotionally intelligent and I can't even name an emotion when, Mm -hmm. when asked. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's led me to now to dive deep into that and now teach about that and the work that I do and the trauma-informed communication work that I do, but it's, it's a big thing. So what I often teach is when you, especially if you find yourself at the extreme of an emotion, like during that trauma response, mm-hmm. um, number one, identify what the emotion is. Yeah. Like you, you're feeling the physical response. What's the emotion that's present? Mm-hmm. Is it anger? Is it fear? Is it hurt? Is it mm-hmm. guilt? What is it, right? Frustration. And then that's that's the first practice, right? And then you can actually name what's going on and set the boundary when you actually know what's going on and you can yeah. name. And even if you can't name it, and I was told this by a mentor, because I used to say, well, I don't always know in the moment what the emotion is. I have to go and process it. And he told Same. me, um, just in the moment, if something's going on and you notice it, just say, you know what, I'm feeling some kind of way. I can't name it right now, but I need to, whatever you need to do, take care of it. I need to step away. I need to pause the, the mm-hmm. conversation. I need to stop the action. I need to go and whatever it is that you need to do. So it allows you to, when you become aware and you don't ignore it, you acknowledge it, you yep. can set the boundary in that moment and go take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I appreciate just um, not only acknowledging it in the moment, but just allowing ourselves the time to pause and to slow down because we're always trying to society tells us to just keep going, keep going, keep going. And then there's so much our body trying to communicate to us, but we don't like grasp it. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to your story with the the, the um, emotion wheel, I had to learn that it took like a solid year for me to really stop intellectualizing my feelings and just feeling it, you know? (laughs) I I think for me, because of my background, um, growing up in the church, being West Indian, where my, what I was allowed to be was happy and resilient and all of those things, I felt a level of guilt for feeling anything outside of that, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think a lot of people can identify with, just knowing to be grateful and, you know, like not allow themselves to really have a full range of emotions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, and I relate to that because it was very similar. Like you're, I'm allowed to get straight A's. I'm allowed to, <laughs> you know, I'm allowed to feel happy and excited. You know, I'm not allowed to feel angry nope. and sad as weak. Mm-hmm. So you don't cry, right? Like just all of these, you know, yes. these various harmful patterns. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, of course, like what I think about from a generational standpoint, and I often talk about this, uh, you know, the baby boomer population, uh, who raised me as a, I'm a, I'm an ex-gen. Are you an ex-gen too? Uh, I'm an elder millennial. Okay. Elder millennial. Okay. <laughs> so you probably, you probably had a, either a late ex or a boomer or baby boomer generation parent. Boomer right? for sure. Boomer. Yes. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Boomer parent. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So like, you know, the baby boomers were surviving mm-hmm. and they had parents who were like grow up in the depression. Right. Yeah. And so and, and, and anthropologically, culturally speaking, historically speaking is what I mean. 
you know, our ancestors are, are who were enslaved that what it, they thought about surviving. They yeah. couldn't express certain emotions. They couldn't express anger. They couldn't express hurt because that would meant their lives. Yeah. So what's generationally passed down to us is don't express anger. Don't cry. It looks weak. And then they can get yeah. you, you know, like all of these generational con- conversations are passed down culturally and epigenetically. Mm-hmm. And so then here we are waking up to, oh, it doesn't have to be that way. Let's get our emotion well. And I still to this day, I mean, I'm much better. My son is even better than me. You know, yeah. these 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 uh alpha gen children are different, as yes. you know. Yes, very different. <laughs> and I still sometimes pull out the the mood meter. It's an app mm-hmm. that you can download, and it's a wonderful app, and it's called the Mood Meter. Mm-hmm. And I pull it out, and I if I'm having trouble like identifying exactly what the emotion is, I still pull it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's um really important. And I actually was talking to my husband a few weeks ago about how I'm emotionally constipated. Like sometimes I really want to cry, but I can't find the tears. Yes. And it's because of the way that I was raised. And I'll bring it back to yesterday. So my mom lives with us. And um I walked into the laundry room and she was on FaceTime with somebody who was crying. I was just like, what's going on? And then she was like, well, I'll tell you later. So later on, she was like, apparently her good friend is in the hospital and that was his daughter calling her. Mm. So it's like a grave situation. It's like, he's at the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's, that's so sad. And um, she was telling the girl, you know, cause the girl, she was calling my mom and, and confiding in her that they're going to remove um, the ventilator right. in the coming days because he hasn't been making any progress. Mm-hmm. So my mom goes to her, um, you, you know, you, you know what the right thing to do is, you know, and the girl was crying. This is what, this was her only, um, remaining parent. Right. And my mom goes, don't cry. Your dad would want you to be strong. And I'm like, (laughs) what you mean? Don't cry. Like it is okay to cry. Like your your tears are your strength like she is by herself making really hard decisions yeah. it is okay to cry and it's reminded me of why I can't find my tears because yeah. I've been taught to never cry like yeah. if there's any time for tears it would be when That's you're making such a hard decision awesome. about your parent mm-hmm. and I'm just like wow but yeah. I will definitely link the mood meter um, down below for those of us who could use some help with, you know, determining how we're feeling throughout the day and everything. Yeah. yeah. I, and I appreciate you sharing that. I, I have definitely, I've had, so my experience actually has been with um, most recently my mom and, and how she interacts with my grandson. She's generally very great with my grandson. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I've heard her when he gets upset saying, oh, well, don't feel sad or, or don't feel embarrassed or don't feel, don't feel, don't feel. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and, and I've had to say, okay, you know, I get good intentions and don't, let's not tell him what not to feel, yeah. right? Feelings are valid. Yep. And what are you going to do with them is the question. Yep. So when my son gets mad and he, he's like, I said, you know what? It's okay to be angry at how you express that anger. Now that's a different story. That's right. right? Or, or like when he's sad, I'm like, yep, it's, it's okay to cry. Get it all out. Get it out. Yeah. You know, like get Mm -hmm. it out. How can I support you? You know, or if he's crying because he's in trouble, then I'm like, go ahead and cry. It's okay. You know, it's good. (laughs) Let me know when you're done. (laughs) Yeah. We can talk about what happened, you know? (laughs) Yes, for sure. (laughs) Right. 
And there was something that you said earlier. I think you were mentioning about how we can experience similar situations, but not be traumatized by it. And it made me think about um, my kids. So my kids have a much different childhood than I have. And I'm very grateful that they can be kids, right? But then I do ask myself, um, am I not fostering resilience because they don't have to experience just about anything? You know what I mean? That's a good question. And it's it's a it's a question that I often um ask myself as well. It's like, how do you balance um removing the toxic stress mm-hmm. and creating resilience? And if you think about the stress trauma continuum, right? Mm-hmm. There's like healthy stress, then then there's that that healthy stress is the stress we need to grow. And then there's tolerable stress, which is unpleasant stress, but it is backed by restorative relationship, restorative, you know, um, like respite and recovery. Mm -hmm. And then you have like that toxic stress, which is the predecessor to, to, to trauma. And what I think about when I, when, as I, as I raise my son is like really caught, not causing that's a, (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it is a manufacturer. Like I have to (laughs) manufacture hard moments because, you know, he has a good life. It's a great, I mean, I had a good life too, but like, mm-hmm. I did have, I experienced some things that were yeah. like traumatic. So like, I say no to my son, you know, like talk about, we, we can get into a whole conversation about gentle parenting and what people say it looks like and what it actually looks like. Gentle and parenting is not life. gentle for, for the, the parents. <laughs> right. Gentle parenting is not gentle for the parent. It is, it is rough. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a myth, there's this myth about, oh, don't tell your children no. And I think that is horribly wrong mm-hmm. because why we have kids shooting up schools is because nobody told them no and they don't right. think, nobody nobody let them fail mm-hmm. right you have to experience stress you have to experience tolerable stress and you have to experience failure and so yes i tell my son no mm-hmm. and then i tell him yes like mm-hmm. i'm not a, i'm not an 80 20 mom for no and yes mm-hmm. I, and i asked him i actually asked him i said i said you know what's the percentage we were talking, I don't know how we got on the conversation, but he was like, yeah, my dad always says no. And I was like, what's the percentage of the time he says no? He's like, oh, he says no, like 90% of the time. I'm like, really? I was like, well, what's the percentage of no that I say? Cause I feel like I say no a lot. And he said, oh, about 60%. So apparently I'm a 60, 40 mom, which is, okay. I, I, I feel good about that. I'm scared but, to ask. Go ahead. <laughs> but I think if we don't say no, and if we don't allow failure mm-hmm. and, and we don't allow some of these hard things to happen mm-hmm. in life, then they don't know how to recover from it. Yeah. And the, the studies show just with around trauma is that tra- things, traumatic experiences can happen. But for children, we think, of, think about ACEs, like the, the whole ch- adverse child experience studies, it only takes one stable, positive um, relationship to mm-hmm. restore a child. Mm-hmm. Our children are incredibly resilient as it is. And yet we do want to continue to cultivate that. Yeah. We don't want to take away their resilience. And all it takes is a state. It doesn't take saying yes to everything. It doesn't take, you know, like giving them everything that they want or not having them to work for anything or, you know, not letting them ever get in trouble at school or whatever, right? They have to experience consequences. Mm-hmm. What it takes is 
one stable restorative relationship. And it takes that for adults too. Mm, I can see that. Yeah. So you mentioned the healthy stress. So I'm curious about what are some healthy stresses um, for children and for adults? I think um, the healthy stress is, you know, like sports. Okay. So mm-hmm. like my son takes Kung Fu mm-hmm. and, you know, like when he's doing a run or when they're working them out and he gets tired, pushing through that, gotcha. right? That's healthy stress, mm-hmm. you know, that's mm-hmm. healthy stress. Um, tolerable stress is like uh testing time. Gotcha. You yeah. know, for my son, testing time. Cause it's like uncomfortable it's, or when he has to get up and speak in front of people. Gotcha. Right? That's the stuff that he doesn't necessarily want to do, but you know what? Do it. Helps you grow, yeah. you know? Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Gotcha. Um, so I kind of want to switch gears a little bit, but not really. Um, talk about grounding. So um, whether we're children, whether we are adults, um, how do we ground ourselves after we've learned the to associate certain feelings that come up in our bodies with certain emotions? How do we like if we're in a fight or flight situation that is not actually where we're at actual threat, right? Physical or other otherwise threat. How do we like come back down? Are there practices that you can suggest to help us? Yeah. So I think the first thing is in that moment, um, recognizing what's happening. That's mm-hmm. always awareness is is definitely the first step. Right. And I think for different people, this will will, will take different things. Well, um, there'll be different practices. But one of the things that in the moment, if you're really anxious, is to like look around to mm-hmm. see where you are and bring yourself back into the room, back into mm-hmm. your body. Like, this is what I see. I see books over here. I see the color blue. I'm safe. Like really mm-hmm. like looking to make sure that you're safe. Now, of course, if you're not safe, then, you know, heed your fight or flight response and get the heck out of there or fight right. or whatever you got to do. Right. right. <laughs> but get I mean, safe. if you're, you're done a conversation and something's activated, then you can say I'm activated, but I'm safe. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so you can name it. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, it really is, you know, whether you're tested introvert or extrovert, like some people need to go away and maybe there's a song that you can, that, that helps you to feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes connecting with another person. So for children specifically, you need to, c- children need to connect. Mm-hmm. So connecting with a parent or a trusted person to let them know that they're Okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's very useful for adults to do that too. Like yeah. maybe calling someone who you trust, who will, um, is, is a person who is, will honor and, and be a committed listener for you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Not a person who will try to fix you, not a person who will try to, you know, make it go away, but a person who will like really honor your emotions. Okay. And you, and you, you want to start to identify those people in your life. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have them, get a therapist or a coach, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So I think those are the biggest things. Connection mitigates trauma. So when you get in that activated space, you know, ground yourself in the moment by just noticing that you're safe. Maybe I, I talk about the music or maybe there's a, 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 a visual, if you're a visual person, maybe you go outside and you, you feel the air on your skin, you know, something that that's like an anchor to mm-hmm. helping to calm you back in your body and then go connect with someone that feels safe to you. Mm. 
And I love that you just said connection mitigates trauma. Mm-hmm. I think that's um, so powerful. And I just love that we collectively are having the conversation about how important community is. Yes. Um, this society tries to put us in silos and keep mm-hmm. us separate from each other. Mm-hmm. No, we are not fully going to get well and fully going to thrive unless we're really together. And, and to your point, it could just be one other person, but mm-hmm. you need to lean on somebody and somebody needs to lean back on you to be strong. I, I definitely Absolutely. agree. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, and I think that that is a, a, the division and the isolation is a tactic used by um, the dominant culture yep. to keep us separated and oppressed. Yep. And that goes for in, in inside of our culture and intercultural, like between mm-hmm. different cultures. Yep. So uh, that's a that's a tactic, and we need to recognize that as such and understand that we are better together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one thing I want to just touch on is I talked about like the feelings wheel. And when you get to extremes of emotion, I think it's useful as a preventive practice to start to recognize the gradations of emotion. Mm. So for example, if you, if you know what it feels like to be activated, what does it feel like just before that? And what does it feel like just before that? And what does it feel like just before that? Like, what does it feel like in your body? And what is the emotion that happens just before that? And what that does is it gets you very mindful of when activation is coming, like the first hint of it. So you can stop the action and set the boundary right there before you get all the way to the to the extreme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that I I actually have, I, I kind of happened upon it for myself mm-hmm. because, you know, having, being a single mom of a, of an eight-year-old, there are moments where like, I just be like, ah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so I started to work with myself, like, okay, what is the emotion that happens before that? Oh, is it fr- before I get angry, there's maybe like frustration. And before mm-hmm. that, there's maybe annoyance. And mm-hmm. before that, maybe there's irritation, you know, like, yeah. so what does that feel like in my body? So when I start to get annoyed, I can actually put my son on notice, like, all right, I'm, yep. I'm annoyed right now. You yep. know, let me just go off, you know? And so what happens is as a result of that, I don't get to that extreme anger yep. anymore because I can, I can feel like an, an annoyance and irritation happen. And I can say, I'm irritated right now. I need you to like, get it out. together. Right. So like, <laughs> just give me a moment. Mm-hmm. I need to go count to 10. I need to go calm down, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and it also teaches him something as yeah. well. I was thinking like, that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, communication with ourselves and then communication outward is so, so powerful. And as you were mentioning that, I just realized that I've learned to do that too. As I've learned to identify what's going on with me, I'm able to like, before it gets there, like, boy, if you don't have a seat, like, please, because <laughs> I'm bothered. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And even not only with our children, but even with our our peers, our coworkers, our um, people that we're in relationships with, um, mm-hmm. for sure can benefit from that as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Very cool. Yeah, this was really, really helpful. Really, really illuminating. Thank you so much, Dr. Maisha. Oh, um, it's my pleasure. Where can the people find you online and otherwise? <laughs> yes. So um, I have a podcast called The Black Mind Garden. 
if there's any one action that I want you to take is to go and listen to the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, The Black Mind Garden. I think it'll be useful to have a little podcast swap. So let's, let's talk do about it. it. Let's yes. do it. I'll email let's you the it. link. So let's yes. So listen to the Black Mind Garden podcast. You'll learn a lot more about the work that I do with neuro-linguistic programming, with um, you know, trauma-informed communication. If you want to learn a little bit more about this, the, the work that I do in trauma-informed communication, if you're like in an organization and you want someone to come and speak, or if you want to learn it yourself, you can go to mindremappingacademy.com, mindremappingacademy.com. And uh, on the, the platforms, I'm mostly on, I am on TikTok. Um, I am on LinkedIn, very heavily on LinkedIn and Instagram. Those are like the three major ones that I traffic Mm -hmm. and check things. And (laughs) it's backslash Dr. Maisha. That's on every platform, black backslash Dr. Maisha. And I'll be sure to link all of those down below. So it's a quick um, and easy click for you to follow. Go listen to the podcast, follow her on all the platforms. So that way you can be better informed yourself. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Maisha. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Be Well Sis podcast. For more information on anything discussed in this episode, please see the show notes and or visit www.bewellsispodcast.com. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating on Apple. Until next time, be well, sis.